Romans chapter 9, 1 through 9. Um, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and caught up cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about the time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Thank you, Kendall. So we are in Romans 9, and I'm curious how many of you took my challenge last week and read Romans 9 this week. Just uh, many did, several did. Um, Just uh, with the expression on your face, you don't have to say out loud. How did it go? (laughs) I see a lot of sort of phased out looks. For those of you who were not here last week, and I see a a number of you, we began this chapter that Kendall read for us uh, the first nine verses of, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the Bible. Uh, It is difficult. It is challenging. And I had intended this morning to preach through to to, uh, verse 13, but yesterday made the executive decision to slice that in half. And only move halfway through that because it is so challenging and we're going to need to take our time. Um, It takes longer to chew steak than it does to drink milk. And we're in steak territory here, which is good. I feel like we're ready to take on these difficult passages like this. Um, So at the pace that we're moving now that I cut this in half, if we continue at that pace, it's going to be like three months in this one chapter. Maybe. That really might not even be that much of an exaggeration. But it's going to be great. It's going to be really good. I'm sure of it. And I want you to know, studying this chapter, I've been studying more than just this passage today because you have to see the whole chapter to understand it. Um, I have never felt less like a scholar and more like a complete idiot. It's been so evident to me how inadequate I am to really grasp God with my little brain. And we're all in that boat together, so we need God's help desperately. So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to help us to understand this and help us to, well, help us to understand it and for his power to flow through it. So would you bow with me while we pray together? Father, you are great and glorious and true and real and majestic and so far higher and loftier than we grasp. We're growing. We're growing in our understanding of you, and I praise you for that. I thank you that, that I can speak for myself, and I know many of the people here that we are further along in our adoration of you, our appreciation of you, today than we were last year and the year before and a decade before that. You, 
you are bringing us along, and it's awesome. It's awesome to be able to come here and to hear your words and to apply our minds to understanding you and the deepest realities of life. Please help us now. Please help me to speak and think and communicate clearly what's in your word and nothing more. Uh, Help us to understand it. Help us to hear your voice in it. Help us to see how it is uh, extremely applicable to our real life situations. Help us to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think we need to just dive in. I'm going to click this speaker off because it's making a little noise at me. So last week, for those of you who missed, uh, we spent most of the time just establishing that Paul's tone of voice in what he's writing is one of love and deep, almost just frustrated concern over his brothers, the Israelites, the Jews, God's special chosen people, because they've had all the blessings that you can imagine, and yet still have rejected Jesus Christ. And he just can't even understand it. And he's so frustrated and he's so concerned for them that he, he says he would even give his own salvation if he could, if it would mean that they would be saved. He would be damned if it would mean saving them from damnation. So it's going to be some hard statements that he's going to make. But remember, when you hear his voice in your head saying these things, it's one of urgent, passionate concern. For people. So we're going to study this uh, theology, this doctrine, and along with it is devotion to people, love for people. Remember last week, those are the two wheels on the bike that we need both of them if we're going to get anywhere in life and, and in studying this passage. So I think we'll just dive right in and we'll dive in at verse six. And I've got it on the wall and I hope you have your Bible with you because I really want you to see it along with me as we talk through it. So Romans 9, verse 6, Paul begins by stating the essential problem that he sees when he thinks about Israel and their rejection of Jesus. But, is it, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That word failed, it has the idea of uh, like loosening and falling to the ground. Like if you were bound by ropes or chains or something and, and someone were to cut them and they'd fall loose to the ground. Or some of you may have experienced this, but have you ever gotten blue jeans out of the dryer and you put them on and they fit one way and then by the end of the day they're hanging baggy like you're a gangsta? Yeah, that happens to me. I only wear skinny jeans, but it does happen. And that's kind of the idea of this phrase. Like as time went on, did God grow loose about his promises? Because look in verses 4, let's see, 4 and 5. Look at all the blessings that God had poured and heaped onto Israel. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption. Of all the nations in the world, God chose this nation to be his special people, his sons. To them belong the adoption, the glory. They saw, experienced firsthand God's glory. Moses, when he went up on the mountains for 40 days and received the Ten Commandments, and he came down. After being face-to-face with God, his face was like so bright that they couldn't even look at him. They experienced God's glory firsthand. They were the ones that he chose to adopt. They saw his glory. They had the covenants. When you hear covenant, think marriage. 
Basically, God proposed marriage to them. God chose them like a man would choose a woman to marry. And that was expressed through all these different covenants in the Old Testament. They had that. They had the giving of the law. They were the ones who received the tablets. They were the ones who God chose to stoop down and say, here's how you should live. I love you enough to tell you I've designed you according to these rules. Live like this. The worship, they had the temple, they had God's presence in the temple and the promises. To them belonged the patriarchs. So in the Old Testament, God's specific work in humanity flowed through specific men called patriarchs. And that was Israel's heritage, not any other nation. Israel, the Jewish people. And then finally, at the end of verse 5, from their race, according to the flesh, biologically speaking, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So through this nation was born Jesus, the hope of the world. So they had all these blessings, and yet still many, many, many Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, turned away from him. And that's still the situation today. Now, not all There are a lot of Jewish people that do believe that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. And they are Christians. They're our brothers. How can this be? This is a big problem. And some of you may already be thinking, oh, he's going on and on about Old Testament history and Israel. I'm not even Jewish. What do I care? My marriage is in trouble. My finances are in trouble. Give me something practical. Well, I would argue that this is extremely practical. Because if God's promises and word fell loose regarding Israel when he had invested all this much into them, how can we trust him for anything? I mean, the whole Old Testament, it seemed that he had invested all this energy into Israel and they turned away? Is he incompetent? Is he not trustworthy? To have made all these promises and then it it just doesn't seem to be happening. It feels like one of those inspirational coach movies. I love those movies. Like Hoosiers for the old people or what's a a modern day version? I don't know. They make a ton of them. They come out all the time. Movies where some new uh, high school basketball coach or football coach comes in and they just shake everything up. And they invest all this stuff into the program. and, And you see all the kids... Stop doing drugs and start acing their classes and start throwing touchdowns. And they go and they go to state championship. And oh no, are they going to win? Of course they're going to win because it's an inspirational coach movie. Well, this, all the Old Testament has that feeling kind of like an inspirational coach movie. And God comes in and he does all these things for Israel. But the ending doesn't seem to be panning out like you would think. It's like watching one of those movies, but they fire the coach and all the kids go and do drugs and die. And the school closes down. What is going on? You know, Paul, Paul is Jewish, so this is very personal to him. This isn't just theology. These are, this is him and his family, his brothers. What is going on? It's a huge problem. Huge problem. So what's Paul's answer in verse 6? No. God's word hasn't failed. It is not as though the word of God has failed. It's not as though God got lazy, that he got loose with his promises and just it fell to the floor. That's not the case. It is not as though the word of God has failed. 
And here's why. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Here's his solution. Basically, there's an Israel within Israel. There's a true Israel within greater Israel. There's a spiritual God's people within the physical God's people. And you think, or you might think, if you're you know, critical of enough of this, well, that sure seems convenient. That sure lets God off the hook. So now he says, there's a special group within. Those are the ones. But is this the first time that we've seen that idea in the scripture? No, it's not. It's very common through scripture. Because the Israelites were always wanting to rest in and rely on their heritage for their righteousness. They were always wanting to say, Abraham is our father, so we're good. And I'll give you just a couple of examples of this. And I think what he says here makes sense in light of God's ongoing conversation with the Jews throughout history. So I'll read something from Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3. 7 through 10. Okay. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, these are prominent, educated, powerful Jewish people. When they came up to see what he was doing, baptizing all these people in the wilderness, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wouldn't that be nice if we had greeters like a lot of churches do? If that's how they greeted people when they walked up, hand them a bulletin, you brood of vipers, welcome. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? But that's how John greeted these prominent, powerful Jewish people. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And here's my my point, verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So, having Abraham as your biological, through the the generations, father, doesn't make you true Israel. John the Baptist even understood that. He said, "That's easy. it's easy to just be born. Anybody can just be born in the lineage of Abraham. God could zap these rocks over here and make more descendants of Abraham if he wanted to. So get over yourself. It's not about... It's not just about your heritage through Abraham. I'll give you one more. This one's from Jesus in John chapter 8. You brood of vipers. Okay, this is Jesus. So Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 8, verses 31, and I'm not sure how much I'm going to read. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide, let's see, is this what I want to read? Okay, yeah, this is what I want to read. Sorry. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they, these Jewish believers, answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. It's kind of a hard word for the Jewish believers. And they answer him in verse 39, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works that your father did. So they said to him, uh-uh. They said to him, we were born We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, Yeah, huh? If God God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So here we see Jesus talking to the Jewish people. And you know, earlier he said, yes, I know your father's Abraham in one sense. But in a truer sense, spiritually speaking, your father is the devil. So it's, this is an idea all through scripture. There's Israel, but then there's Israel. The true Israel within the greater Israel. So it's not as though God's word has failed. It's not as though he's incompetent. This has always been his plan. So he continues on with this line of thinking. It is not as though, back in Romans 9 verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In verse 7, it not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But, and then he quotes from a passage back in Genesis that we're going to go look at in a minute. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay, so we need to do a little background work in Genesis. Way back. I don't know how well you know your Genesis storyline, but you can even flip back there if you want to. We're going to follow along for just a little bit. We'll start in Genesis 12. It's important to understand the context behind the quotes that New Testament authors bring in from the Old Testament. So, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, out. Now the Lord said to Abram in verse 1 of Genesis 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's sort of a vague promise that we understand later in Scripture, he's referring to, he is referring to Jesus. So through Abraham, this one man, he's going to pull apart. He's going to, through his, the generations of his family, bring about the Messiah, the one who would save us from our sins and would bless all the nations of the world. So that's Genesis 12. Then Genesis 15, God makes a more specific covenant with Abraham in the first six verses. I know I'm reading a lot of Bible, but it's Scripture. So it's good. In Genesis 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, and listen to, to what Abram's thinking about. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, not even his own flesh and blood. Remember, a big part of his promise to Abraham had to do with the Messiah coming through his lineage, but he's got no kids. So God's still giving him these great promises. I'm your shield. I'm going to take care of you. And he's like, well, that sounds great, but I got no kids. It doesn't seem like it's happening. Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And it goes on, but I'll stop there. Okay, verse uh, chapter 16. After God clarified with Abram, I know it's been a long time, but I'm telling you, you will have a son. He will be your heir and through that lineage will come something that will bless all the nations of the world. So we find ourselves in chapter 16, and we see that Abram's wife, Sarai, I guess is how you pronounce it. Hasn't been changed to Sarah yet. Sarai is feeling the pressure as well. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So his wife says, it's just, it's not happening. We got no kids still. I know he promised these things, but it's not happening. But I've got a plan. Here's my Egyptian servant, Hagar. You two go. Maybe God will let her become pregnant and I'll have a kid through her. So it takes matters into their own hands. Hagar does have a child. Anybody know what Hagar's child's name was? Ishmael. Ishmael was also the father of a great nation, the Muslims. So it takes matters into their own hands. With Hagar, not Jewish, they have Ishmael. Okay, 17, Genesis 17. God's talking to Abraham again. He's talking to Abraham about his wife. And he says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. The promise is still standing. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man is a hundred years old? Abraham's old now. Think Lee Jones minus a couple years. (laughs) See if he's paying attention back there. (laughs) He said some snob remark about me a while back. I can't remember what it was. That was fair. So, Abraham's old now. That's my point. God still hasn't come through on this promise. They've tried it their own way. They did have a child, but it wasn't the promise child. It wasn't the child of promise. It was the child of flesh. So God's here and he's saying, I am going to give you a son. And Abraham's just laughing about it. He's a hundred years old. Shall a child be born to a man is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, just take the plan that I made. Just Just take what I did on my own and bless it. It'd be so much easier than having to wait 
for your promise to come true because it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Then, Genesis chapter 21, getting to where this quote in Romans 9 came from. It happens. Isaac is born. A miracle child of promise is born. And I'm just going to read one text from this chapter just to show you where this quote comes from. Uh, I'll start in Genesis 21 at verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Did you catch the quote from Romans 9? For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now what's the point of all this? That was a lot of Old Testament history. You guys did not sign up for that when you came in here this morning. Well, Paul tells us why he quotes that. I wanted you to get the full history of where that quote comes from because uh, this audience would likely have known that, at least least the Jewish people reading this. So back in Romans 9, he tells us why he draws from that. Because at first it seems kind of random, doesn't it? Here's why he draws from that in verses 8 and 9. This means, that quote, that whole thing with Isaac and Ishmael means... That it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. That's another quote back from, I think, Genesis 15. So here's the point. It is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. God's promise has not fallen slack. It was always meant to be this way. And you can trace his promise through all kinds of unexpected and miraculous things throughout all of history to this point. So far from proving that God is incompetent, it proves that God is more powerful and majestic than we ever could have imagined. Far from proving that he is a liar and we can't trust him, it proves that he is more trustworthy and wise than we could have imagined. There are many Israelites by descent, but a few by promise. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way of promise. And I'm stopping here. Well, it's time for me to stop. But also because the next passage we're going to read takes this thought to this next logical Bot. And it's too much to chew that with this this morning. But I want you to read ahead and I want you to wrestle with what, how this line of thinking continues. 
And we're going to talk about that next week, about Jacob and Esau. We, are, we talked about Isaac and Ishmael this week, Jacob and Esau next week. Um, also, I'm stopping here because there is a very particular uh, application for this principle that I just want us to note before we leave. In God's work in the world, he is about children of promise, not children of the flesh. And we, as Christians, will always be tempted to live like children of the flesh and to minister for children of the flesh. We will always be tempted as a church to turn to the Hagar of mere human devices to try to attract people to church stuff. And we can build a church full of Ishmaels through our plans and our devices. But only God brings about the birth of children of promise. So our work in ministry is about children of promise, not of flesh. Our work in evangelism is about children of promise, not of the flesh. Our work in missions is about children of promise, not of the flesh. Our work in parenting for our kids is we want them to be children of promise, not children of flesh. Our Sunday school, our house to house, all the stuff we do, If God isn't working through that to bring about children of promise, all we're doing is developing children of flesh. I don't know if that makes sense to you at this point. I'm kind of out of time. But just think for our church. How tempting is it to trust in, you know, a smooth, flowing worship service and good music and a crazy, handsome pastor and good Sunday school and well-thought-out house-to-house groups, and maybe even a slick website, maybe even a billboard or something, and maybe some, some nicely designed mailers we can send out. How tempting is it to trust in those things to gather a people? And we can gather a people that way. And I'm not saying all this stuff's bad or wrong, but we have to remember only God is capable of new birth. Only God is capable of gathering to himself a church of Isaacs, children of the promise. And discipleship, I know I push, we got to be making disciples. And that's your job out there, not my job from up here, totally. I mean, it's all together. We're making disciples together. And I know that some of you don't do it. You don't apply yourself to it. And I think one big reason why is that you feel inadequate for it. What if they have questions you don't know the answers to? You have doubts of your own you still haven't worked out, probably. What if they look at your life and they're like, pfft. This guy's not holy. Well, of course. It never, discipleship never depended upon our perfection. It's God's work in bringing about miraculous, supernatural children of promise. The way Isaac was born is the same way Christians are born today. All through God's promise, all through God's power, all through God's timing. So when you're out there, just real practically, when you're out there and you're at work and you're with your people or your family, Don't feel the pressure of that person's salvation on your shoulders because you can't bring it about. You can't be eloquent enough. Trust in God's promise and just do what you can. Minister as you can. Trust in what God is already doing. I have other examples I'm just going to leave out because it's time. Tim wants to stay longer.
right, I'll give one more for Tim, for you. I mentioned missions. I've been all excited about this story all week anyway. I think this might be just a good example that God is still doing supernaturally miraculous things. I have a good friend, my best friend uh, from high school, Aaron Byram. I used to work for him at the photography studio in Locust. Uh, He went with a group from a bunch of different churches to Uganda on a mission trip. He and his wife went, and uh, it's a really neat setup that they have. I think it's called E3, and they go in, and the whole purpose is to make disciples. They're not building anything. All they're doing is coming in with the gospel. They've got these cubes, evangel cubes, that tell the story because there's a language barrier. And they go in and they share the gospel. Many people come to Christ. They train them how to go and do the same thing, lead other people to Christ, and how to do a basic Bible study. And then after a couple of weeks, they leave. And that's the, after one week in this case, actually. And that's the whole program. Do you think that could work? It does. It actually works. They go with some cues and the truth of the gospel. And people come to Christ and start making disciples. They're in these very remote potentially dangerous tribes in Uganda. So they, they made good plans. I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan. They made good plans. They had their evangel cubes and their, their mission, and they went and they landed, and they're in one tribe, and one of their leaders said, you know, I think, I really feel like we need to go to this other tribe. They're kind of up on the mountain. It's going to be about an hour and a half hike. You had to hike everywhere. So I'm going to grab some people. This is off script. We weren't planning on this, but let's just go. So they went, a couple of them. One of them was actually my cousin. His name's Jeff Broadway. There's an A in his name. That's weird. But they went. I know Jeff. That's why I mentioned that. He's a normal guy. So they go, and they've got some Bibles that may be translated into the dialect that this tribe can understand. And they've got their cubes. And they approach the village, not really knowing what to expect. And the villagers, several of them come running out and talk to them. And they figure out who these people are, these missionaries, and they're just ecstatic. And they say, we have been praying for someone to come and help us understand how to get to God. And here you are. And I picture my doofus cousin, Jeff, standing there. I mean, he's not like the most spectacular of like Bible scholars. And honestly, I didn't even know he was so committed a Christian to go to Uganda. But God's bringing about children of promise through miraculous means there. They prayed with one village for rain. It hadn't rained in over a year. And they, the villagers wanted them to pray for rain, and so they did. And they're Americans, so they didn't really think anything was really going to probably happen. And they are uh, hiking back to their base camp, and this village is up on the mountain, so you can still see them even though you're very far away. And they look, and this one singular rain cloud came over that village and just dumped on them. And I believe it. You know, you read these things and you think, I don't know, because we don't see that stuff happen here. But I know these guys, and they're not going to make that up. So it's exciting to be called up into what God's doing. God is trustworthy. God's promises are sure. We can, we must base our lives trusting in his promises, being still, knowing that he is God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you, time and time again, you've been questioned for centuries, and you always come out trustworthy. Lord, thank you that we can be honest with our own questions, as Paul is in your word, and we can wrestle with these things. And I pray for great wisdom 
as we read ahead into Romans chapter 9 into some difficult sayings in your word. Um, I pray that we would come out on the other side more passionate in worship, more deeply concerned and active in pursuing people. Lord, if there's anyone in this crowd today that is not a child of promise, that has not come to Christ and been born again, living the new life, I pray that you would make it happen now. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in this crowd and in this world. Thank you for allowing us to be even a small part of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.